Richard Johnson has been moved to Westfield Rehab in uh, Sanford. It's on Tramway Road there. Uh, he was moved Monday evening and he may be there as long as a week and Elaine, Elaine has asked that we please pray for him there. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that You would help us to see the things from these verses tonight that each heart needs to see. These are such critical words with such a critical message. And we just look to Your Spirit to reveal that message to our hearts tonight. And we pray that we might have hearts that will receive it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening we want to continue with our studies here in the book of Galatians. Last time we looked at verse 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to think about those words again tonight. I have to say that I have been convicted about wanting to skip through the Paul's greetings. You know, when we write somebody a letter, we we begin with greetings. We begin with maybe um, what we might think of as small talk. But then we get really the meat of what we want to say. And um, I, I've found myself convicted about wanting to um, get through Paul's greeting here. And just, then just go to verse 6 where he begins to rebuke these people. We always like it when somebody else gets rebuked. But when he talks about them being removed, from so soon removed from the gospel, which is not another gospel, and he talks about uh, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be a curse. So I sort of thought as those things are the main things and we want to get to them. And we do want to get to them. But there's a great depth of message just in these opening verses. Notice that this grace and peace in verse 3 is from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that order. From God the Father 
and from our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the order that we see in probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. John 3.16 For God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the order that we see in John's first epistle. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the order that we see here in the book of Galatians in chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And how was this grace and how was this peace manifested? How was this love of the Father for the world demonstrated? Well, look at verse 4. Who gave Himself for our sins. Uh, You remember from English... uh, pronouns and how when you come across one, it's referring back to the last uh, person that was mentioned. And so that word who in verse 4 is referring back to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. How was this grace and peace manifested? How was this love of the Father demonstrated to the world? The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins. That was the will of the Father in sending the Son, and it was the will of the Son in coming into this world. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Lord Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father, Not my will, but thine be done. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 how the Lord Jesus took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is how this grace and peace was manifested. This is how this love of the Father for the world was demonstrated at the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins. But God commendeth His love toward us, we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This order that we find here in verse 3, this order that we find in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, we aren't going to turn to all these. But in every one of Paul's letters to the churches, he has these words right in the greeting. 
That's how important they are. Romans 1 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Ephesians 1 and verse 2. Philippians 1 and verse 2. Colossians 1 and verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2. 1 and 2 Timothy is in chapter 1 and verse 2 of both of those letters. Titus 1 and verse 4. Philemon 1 and verse 3. This is how important these words are. I've never seen this before. Every one of these letters, he uses these words. Grace be to you. Grace be to you. And peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the order of the plan of God for the ages. Grace and peace are the result of the plan of God from eternity past to send His Son to be the Savior of the world. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. That's the Gospel, isn't it? He gave Himself for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Christ gave Himself for our sins. And He did that. He gave Himself for our sins by being made sin for us in those three hours of darkness. And because of that, He was separated from the Father. You remember His words. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? But at the end of those three hours, when the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, when the price for our sin was paid, when the Lord Jesus had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, when He, by the grace of God had tasted death for every man when He had made peace. There's our words, grace and peace. When He had made peace through the blood of His cross, there was no more separation between the Father and the Son. And the cry of the Son was no more a cry of separation. The cry now was a cry of fellowship. Father, Father, into Thy hands I commend my Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit directs Paul 13 times. 13 times. Um, Each of his epistles to the churches. Now, it's not in the book of Hebrews. I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I know there's different opinions about that. But in his 13 epistles to the churches, we, we find those same words. 13 is the number of rebellion. Grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us. The plan of God from eternity past is the cure for our rebellion. 
For by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So what's been impressed on my heart is that these are very weighty and important words in in all of Paul's greetings to the churches. The Spirit of God repeats something 13 times. It has to be important. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Have you believed that message? Have you believed the message of the Gospel? This is the plan of God to redeem your soul. Have have you put yourself in these verses? Grace be to and put your name there. Grace is offered to you because the Lord Jesus by the grace of God tasted death for you. Grace be to you and peace. Peace is offered to you because the God of peace gave His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased peace. He made peace through the blood of His cross. Grace be to you. In this case, we can take that word as personal and individual. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for... Have you put your name there in that blank? Who gave Himself for my sins and your sins. That's how men and women and young people get saved. Grace be to you in peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Now the rest of verse 4, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Now we want to think about these words, the last part of verse 4. The ultimate plan of God is that He is going to deliver us from this present evil world. And we're looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to that moment when we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But we want to think about these words tonight not from that perspective. We don't want to lose that perspective. We don't want to uh, not rejoice in that prospect. But these words have an application right where we live today that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. The last part of this verse gets into something that Brother Jim pointed out in a message, I think maybe it was three or four months ago, that was a blessing and a conviction. What this verse teaches us is that salvation is not the end of the plan of God. Now we've already talked about one aspect of that. 
But it's not the end of the plan of God for us right now, right here in this world. God did not just just save us to give us a home in heaven. That's the ultimate end of our faith. But if that was all there was to our salvation, then the moment that we get saved, the Lord could just take us to heaven. This verse tells us, and it's why Brother Jim's message was, was such a blessing. This verse tells us why the Lord has saved us. And it tells us why He's left us here. You ever think about why the Lord leave me here? Well, this is why. Who gave Himself for our sins. That's our salvation. That's how we get saved when we believe that message. Who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world. This is why the Lord has saved us. And it's not only why He has saved us, but it is why He's left us here in the world. He wants to deliver us from this present evil world. And this is His will. This is His will. Sometimes we might do a study. Uh, I guess one of the things that I've struggled with in my life as a believer, and you've struggled with in your life, I'm sure, is the Lord's will. Uh, How can I find it? Well, (laughs) sometimes we might have a message or two on the number of places here in the Bible where the Lord plainly tells us exactly what His will is for us and what His will is not for us. But tonight, we're looking at what His will is for those who are saved. That's what the last part of this verse says. Who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So think about what's being said here. He gave Himself for our sins. It's the will of God that all men would be saved. That's God's will for every person who has ever lived on this earth, who is living now, or who will live in the future. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, God our Savior will have all men to be saved. That's His will. He will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God for every man and woman who's living today. And the only thing that is standing between the sinner and the Savior is the sinner's will. Mr. Creech talks about this in chapel. I know many times during the year and many times over the years. And I know the teachers talk about this in the little devotion times that we have uh, before our class gets started, when we take a few minutes and, and, and read a, a verse of Scripture um, and we have prayer, we talk about the danger of the free will, the danger of the freedom to choose. The only thing that is standing between the sinner and the Savior is the sinner's will. The Lord Jesus said to those 
lost people who were standing before Him. In John chapter 5 and verse 40. And His words were directed to them, but His words go beyond them to every lost person. Ye will not. He didn't say, ye cannot. Ye will not come to Me. That verse right there destroys Calvinism. Ye will not come to Me that ye might have life. But when we surrender our will, when we deny ourselves, when we remove the barrier and we cry out to the Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He takes us and He washes us from our sins in His own blood. That is salvation. But salvation is not the end of His will. After we believe that the Lord Jesus gave Himself for our sins, for my sin, then His will is that He might deliver us from this present evil world. And we need to notice the language here. It says that He might deliver us from this present evil world. It doesn't say that we might deliver ourselves from this present evil world. We can't. He is the only one who can deliver us from this present evil world. We can't deliver ourselves from it any more than we could give ourselves for our sins. Any more than we can save ourselves. Because this old nature that lives within us, even after we are saved, saved, it loves this present world. It loves this present world. And we need to remind ourselves that what the Spirit of God is referring to when He talks about this present evil world, we talked about this a little bit Sunday morning. He's not referring to the world, the, the physical world around us. He's referring to the, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men who are alienated from God, who are dead in trespasses and sins, who are hostile to Christ, and who live in and love darkness rather than light, and who are pursuing all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This is the world that we live in. A few um, months back or earlier in the summer, we were looking at Acts chapter 27. And we were looking at the storm that Paul and that ship was in. And we talked about how it's a, a picture of the storm of the last days. The wicked are like the troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. This is the world that we live in. And there's only one way out of it. Look back, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I should say there's potentially only one way out of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I think we're familiar with this chapter. It deals with 
the man in the church at Corinth that had had a relationship with his father's wife. And Paul deals with how this church is to uh, address this problem. That's the background of this chapter. But we've come here to notice something that Paul says um, while he's addressing this situation that has an application to what we're talking about uh, in Galatians 1.4. Look at 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. And he tells the church at Corinth and he tells us what that means in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. I've written unto you, Paul says, that if any man that's called a brother, if any man or woman that names the name of Christ is a fornicator, someone who indulges in sexual sins, or covetous, someone who is greedy of gain, that's the goal of their life, or an idolater is similar to being covetous, you know, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness is someone who is greedy of gain. An idolater is someone who worships money. Or a railer. What's a railer? Someone who is characterized by uh, abusive speech. In the terminology of our day, it's someone who is snarky, critical, sarcastic, bad-tempered, or a drunkard. I read an article today that was very interesting. We're not, not going to talk about it tonight. The Lord might give us an opportunity to talk about it later. But the article was called The Myth of Moderation When It Comes to Alcohol. The myth of moderation when it comes to alcohol. Then Paul says, or an extortioner, someone who robs, someone who is a thief. If there are believers who have these sins in their lives, this is their public testimony, then they are not to eat the Lord's Supper. With such an one, no, not to eat. And the Lord's Supper, I believe, is the context here. Look at verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That's who Christ and what the Passover, His death for us, is what we remember when we remember the Lord's Supper. And then, um, and, and then verse, um, verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, the leaven of malice and wickedness. And Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27 why we're to do that. Because wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, 
shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation. That word damnation means judgment. And in chapter 11 and verse 32, we find that the judgment that Paul is talking about is the chastening of the Lord. And he gives some examples of the Lord's chastening. In chapter 11 and verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That is, many are dead. Now I didn't mean to, to, to quite talk quite so much about this. But we have the Lord's Supper next Wednesday night, Lord willing. And it's good to be reminded. It's good to be reminded not only of the great blessing of that service, but it's good to be reminded of the seriousness of that service so that we might examine ourselves. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. When we come to the Lord with that prayer, He will expose our hearts to us. He'll expose our hearts that are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and He'll put His finger exactly on the sin that's in our life. When He exposes our thoughts, we ask Him to know our thoughts. He already knows them. And so what we're asking Him to do is expose them to us. And when He exposes our thoughts and how every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil continually, then we can confess our sins because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we can enter into verse 8 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Then we can, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, when we've examined ourselves, then we can eat of that bread and drink of that cup and show the Lord's death till He comes. Now, with all that said, the reason that we've come here is verse 10. Well, let's read verse 9 again. Paul said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. He's talking about these believers. These believers who, who are living this open, sinful testimony. You're not to eat with them. You're not to fellowship with them. You're not to in any way put any kind of, um, even the scent of approval on a lifestyle like that. So he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. Now why did he say that? Well, look at the next words. For then must ye needs go out of the world. The only way not to keep company 
with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or with the extortioners or with idolaters, with the lost people of this world. The only way not to keep company with this mass of people that are like the troubled sea. Uh, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, who are hostile to Christ, to His Word, to the message of the Gospel. The only way not to keep company with those who live and love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The only way to do that is you've got to get out of the world. You've got to leave the world. But that's not the Lord's plan. One of the most interesting accounts in the New Testament is Peter walking on the water. You remember Peter asked the Lord, he saw him and said, bid me come to you. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. He starts doing the impossible. If the waters are like the troubled sea, they're like the wicked who are like the troubled sea, isn't that what we're doing in the world? We're walking on those waters every day. And the miracle of miracles is to be able to walk on the water and not be fall into the water. And the way that, that we do that is by keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as Peter was focused on the Lord, everything was fine. But then he got to looking around the people around him, so to speak. He got to looking at the wind and the waves. He got to looking at the circumstances and all the people. These wicked people around him. That's the picture. And what happened? He began to sink. The miracle of the Christian life is to to walk in this world and not be overcome by this world. And so these words here, if you're not going to have anything to do with the lost people of this world, then you're going to have to go out of the world. But remember, that's not the Lord's plan for us. His plan is that we are His witnesses. We used to sing a little chorus um, when I was growing up. Uh, ye are my witnesses, tis the Lord's command. Ye are, the, are my witnesses, I have no other plan. How shall they hear? How shall they believe? Until the gospel they receive. For Christ said, ye are my witnesses. I have no other plan. We're His witnesses. Remember we were talking Sunday. Ye are the light of the world. His plan is that we're to be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's His plan. He didn't save us to take us out of this world. He's going to. But He saved us and left us here in the world in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation so that we could shine His lights. And the question is, how's that going to happen? Well, the answer is in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 if you'll turn back there. Galatians chapter 1. And verse 4. Who gave Himself for our sins. When we believe that message, that's salvation. And why did He save us? That He might deliver us from this present evil world. 
not take us out of this present evil world, but that He might deliver us from this present evil world. Now the key word here is the word might. Might. It is the Lord's will that He deliver us from this present evil world. But it has to be our will. It has to be our will that we want Him, that we let Him deliver us from this present evil world. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the war of the Christian life. The will of God, which is to deliver us from this present evil world so that we can live blameless and harmless without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and and perverse nation so that we can shine as lights as He intended us to be. Ye are the light of the world. This is the battle of the Christian life. The will of God versus our will by nature which does not want to be delivered from this present evil world. Our will that wants all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, which is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And the will of God is right here in verse 4. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So how is it that we allow Him to deliver us from this present evil world? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. But I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we going to be transformed? By allowing Him to deliver us from this present evil world. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the perfect will of God. For Him to deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Look over a page at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That's what Paul said, isn't it? I die daily. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how He delivers us from this present evil world. question tonight is, are we willing to be delivered? Are we willing to be delivered? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for this time tonight to look into Your Word. And we pray that it might be profitable in our lives for eternity. 
that it might be profitable in our lives in a practical way when we leave this place tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.